Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In my opinion, the most remarkable is not really the fact of live birth, but the extent of regeneration they showed uh, with such a lar- large uh, graft, uh, that's, that's remarkable, I think. That is Mats Hellstrom discussing a paper by Anthony Atala and colleagues. And this is Forum. Right, you have found Forum, our podcast where we take papers recently published in our pages, Nature Biotechnology, or other research journals, and then we discuss those papers with leading researchers in the field. My name is Brady Huggett. For this one, I'm again with Irene Harsham. She's a senior editor at Nature Biotechnology. And uh, for this, Irene spoke to two different people, and we talked about why that is in the intro. So let's just get to that. Here is Irene and I setting up this paper, episode six of Forum. Here you go. All right, so um, I've read this paper. Just tell me what the major findings are. So in this paper, what they're trying to do is they're trying to show that you can use scaffolds that have been cellularized, recellularized with cells from rabbits to repair um, injuries that the researchers themselves caused on the rabbits. And so they take a large group of rabbits and they cause substantial injury to the uterus and then place these scaffolds and then sacrifice the rabbits at different time points to check histologically at how the organ is recovering. And then a subset of the animals is allowed to mate naturally And they show that some of the rabbits um, become pregnant and have have rabbit babies. And so let's talk about that. Why why use rabbits as the model here? Because similar work has been done um, with other scaffolds in rodents, mice and rats, I think largely rats. But those those animals are smaller. So obviously the what, what you can learn in those models is more limited if you're working towards translating something to humans, an organ the size of humans. And also because um, it's been reported that those, you know, smaller models, the rodents 
have some degree of intrinsic regenerative capacity. And so you would want to you would want to study this in a relevant model. Yeah, right. So that by moving it to rabbits, you remove that ability to regenerate their organs. That's small, right. right. Okay. And so also for this, you spoke to two different people. To who, who do you speak with? I spoke to Mats Brandstrom and to Mats Hellstrom. Um, they both have the first, the same first name, um, and they actually both work in the same department. They both work at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden, and uh, Mats Brandstrom is a professor of um, obstetrics and gynecology. Um, he's the past president of the Uterus Transplantation um, Society, and um, he is somebody who is very familiar with, with treating patients who have injuries to their uterus. As a matter of fact, he was involved in the, in the first successful um, uterus transplantation in the world, uh, which was done in Sweden. Um, so he has a very strong clinical perspective. He also does a lot of research in the area in which this paper is advancing. And so I spoke to somebody else in his group who works very closely with the animal models and with the scaffolds themselves, not these specific scaffolds, but, and so that's Matt Hellstrom. He provides more of the engineering and research perspective um, in, the, in these two interviews. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but just tell me why it was important to speak with a clinician or someone who has cl clinical experience. I think in this case, it was really important because the relevance of the paper, although, you know, the, there's an interesting engineering side to this, this group has published uh, similar scaffolds before and other groups have published similar scaffolds. So the novelty here is not so much in the scaffolds themselves, but in the fact that they're going from uh, a lot of studies in rodents with very small patches to small injuries in the uterus to a larger animal model, not large animal model, but moving in that direction. And these are larger injuries that they're repairing. And so I think those things are important. And the, the main goal of the work is to move towards humans and to solve this problem for many women who have injuries to their uterus or potentially down the road one day to women who are born without a uterus. So you, you want to hear, I think, in this case, especially from a doctor who treats those patients who can give us that perspective. Yeah. Okay. So then just tell me uh, the name of the paper, the corresponding authors. So this paper is titled A Tissue Engineered Uterus Supports Live Births in Rabbits. Uh -huh. And the corresponding author is Tony Atala from Wake Forest in North Carolina. Okay. Off you go. You know, the, the paper that we're going to talk about today is the Atala paper on the scaffolds. But first, I wanted to, to talk a little bit more generally about um, the field. Um, the, the first cases of uterus transplantation were done in Sweden, correct? And I believe that you were involved in those. Yeah, I was the team leader for the first successful case. But uh, we did our first case in 2012 and 2013, and we got the first live birth in 2014. And that was the first one in the world. But there had been two cases, attempts before, in Saudi Arabia, 2000, and in Turkey, 2011, but they were not able to produce any pregnancy. So it was only the surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, what kinds of conditions 
necessitate a uterus transplantation? Are these conditions that are acquired in adulthood or are the individuals born with this? Yeah, I mean, it's um, you can either uh, have no uterus and that could be from as a congenital malformation. It's called the MRKH syndrome. It affects about one in 5,000 women. Or you can acquire uh, absence of the uterus by hysterectomy. And the biggest group is probably the cervical cancer group. Uh, and then, of course, you can have a uterus, but uh, it's not uh, functioning. And that can be because of, the, uh, because of a malformation. It could be because of uh, that you have had an infection and you have, uh, actually you have adhesions in the uterus or that you have large myoma, or it could just be an inherent implantation failure. We know that even if you have a what looks like a normal uterus, it will never implant an embryo. So as an obstetrician and gynecologist, do you encounter a lot of women who would benefit from procedures to repair the uterus or replace it with a transplantation? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, we have calculated that the number who could benefit for a, of a uterus transplantation, a full uterus transplantation, would be about 10,000 in the population of one, total population of one, uh, no, 20,000 in the population of uh, 100 million people. So in Sweden, with 10 million people, it would be 2,000 women. But I think the group, uh, and that relates to, to the work we're discussing, that would benefit from a, a uterine repair, where you would not take the hill, is a lot larger. Uh, and that is, of course, those who have an, a uterus, but it, it's injured. That could be by myomectomy, but more common today is that you've had several cesarean sections, and you get a big scar on the uterus where you've had the cesarean sections and the uterus cannot tolerate the new pregnancy because the wall is too thin and that would have applications. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we, no one has done the calculations. And, and of course, that latter group will be larger in a population where you do a lot of cesarean sections. Um, like in the, I know that like in, in the, in Latin America, the section rate is very high. In Sweden, it's fairly low. Mm -hmm. Have you, um, do you have a chance to speak to women who have received a uterus transplantation and have had a healthy baby? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm also delivering the babies because I, I do this. I do, uh, together with my colleagues, I do this, I do this same section also and the transplantation. So we follow them. And also the IVF, so we follow them through the whole thing. And we, of course, we get to know them a lot. Uh, uh, very good. And in Sweden now, we have delivered 10 babies with this. And the 11th is coming soon. So it's it's not routine, but we get used to the procedure. We are not at all as worried as we were the first time because we didn't know what to expect, to expect them. So it's uh, it's not routine, but it's it's like all cesarean section is a little excitement for the surgeon and for of course for the parents. Mm -hmm. Do the mothers say anything about going through? You know, it's it, it must be a very extensive process and surgical procedures and everything. And to to then be sort of finished with that and have a baby is it? Does it seem to you that it's a different experience for them? I, th I mean, they're, of course, very, very grateful because they, when they were young, they would never think they would have the chance. And you probably know that in Sweden and most countries, uh, there's no alternative because uh, gestation surrogacy is not allowed 
here. So this was this is the only chance. Uh, but of course, what we have of course followed up all our participants, both those with babies and some with no babies, and most are very grateful that have participated in the trial because they, at least they tried to get a baby. Mm -hmm. Lucky because most have got babies in our trials, and, and uh, but some sometimes there are failures, and but they are still happy to participate so far. Mm -hmm. How successful has it been, uterus transplantation? In, uh, it's too early now because we haven't closed the first trial, uh, mm -hmm. but I think the success rate will be uh, if you look at uh, the, the take-home baby rate, which is what is important, uh, because a uterus transplant is only successful when it has de delivered a healthy child. I think it will be like 70 to 80 percent, and that's high. It's very high. Mm. Then we should remember these are the initial stage of this procedure, so it will get better and better by time, as all medical procedures or surgical procedures. Mm -hmm. So as exciting as those rates are, um, it must be quite difficult to obtain organs for, for transplantation. Um, and then, of course, I, I understand that you have all the issues of immune rejection, and so the uterus has to be removed after the babies are born. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, it has. Uh, uh, not we have to, we have some with two babies, so I mean you can have one or two or three possibly. But we say the maximum time should be like uh, six or seven years with immunosuppression. But we also have a case of uh, monozygotic twins. Um, one the sister with three babies uh, giving the uterus to her monozygotic twin and. They have one, she has one baby now, and of course she can keep the uterus for many babies and for lifelong use. And that's interesting because you may know that the first successful kidney transplant in the world was also between monozygotic twins, and that was in uh, Harvard, Harvard in 1954. I didn't know. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Bad. Um, so the paper that I wanted to talk to you about today is a scaffold that is used to repair the uterus. Does that... If that was moved to clinical practice, I mean, right now in the paper, they use it in rabbits, so it's early stages. But if they move that to clinical um, application, what would be the advantages of that over a transplantation? I mean, uh, the advantages would, would, of course, be, first, we have to say that it could not replace a complete uterus, but it could probably repair a malformed uterus or a uterus which uh, would not be capable of uh, holding a pregnancy. Uh, and of course, the advantage would be that you would not need any immunosuppression and, and there would not be a risk as it is in, in transplantation of a uterus. If you do a live donor uterus transplantation, would not be a risk of surging the donor. So I think... Um, uh, the technique has a, has a few sort of future, and of course, we are also working on this uh, uh, aspect, uh, and we have done that for the last five years. So, of course, I believe in it, but it's a lot of research until we are there. But I think this paper is a really important proof of concept that this uh, work. We have done so, uh, similar studies in the rat before but of course the rabbit uh, rabbit is a bigger animal and uh, the tissue they took in this paper is more extensive than uh, what, what we had in the rat for some years ago so how does a, an animal model like a rabbit compare to humans would you need to try some other animal model in between moving to humans yeah, I think we, I mean, like in the uterus transportation project, we moved up from the mice to the rat, to the sheep, pig, and then to a primate species. And I think uh, you have to apply this both to large animal species like the pig or the sheep and also to a primate species before you try it on humans. It, uh, I, I think the results are good, but of course... Uh, they should be repeated and, and more studies should be done, in, especially in, in larger animals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mats, this has been really great. Thanks so much for making the time. So, as you know, I wanted to talk to you about the paper from Tony Atala's group. And first, I wanted to ask you if you could, for the listeners that we may have who haven't had a chance to read the paper, if you could just briefly summarize what they do in the paper. Yeah, sure. This is a really nice and interesting study where they've used biodegradable uh, U-shaped polymers to um, to create the scaffold. They seeded these scaffolds with the autologous cells, uh, and then they sutured this bioengineered graft into the uterus horn. Uh, And then they sacrificed the rabbits uh, one month, three months, and six months after the surgery. Uh, And they assessed the regeneration and the healing properties uh, when uh, using this graft. Uh, They used uh, immunochemistry to visualize uh, uterus-specific markers, such as uh, estrogen and progesterone receptor. And uh, they found that this, uh, this tissue that were um, or the the tissue engineered graft that contained the autologous uterine cells that actually had a lot of the 
uh, glandular structures and uh, vascularization, and, and they show remarkable regeneration uh, in, in this animal group. And uh, after six months, they uh, also um, allowed some of these rabbits to mate and uh, to test the functionality of the uterus. Quite amazingly, the, in four out of 14 rabbits, they restored fertility. And um, I think three of them uh, went full term uh, and could deliver uh, a live pup uh, by a C-section. Uh, and then they, uh, they also saw that these pups were um, uh, of normal size compared to uh, what normal uh, rabbit pups uh, are. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, the most uh, remarkable is not really the fact of live birth, but the extent the regeneration they showed uh, with such a lar large uh, graft, uh, that's, that's remarkable, I think. So. Mm -hmm. so others, including your group, had been trying to make different types of scaffolds using different approaches to repair the, the uterus. Um, what are the alternatives? Um, there have been several studies using different types of uh, scaffolds. Um, some have used collagen scaffolds, even uh, uh, trying to uh, include silk uh, threads. Uh, others have um, used even scar tissue formation that they have formed into a tubular shape and used for transplantation. Uh, all of these are, are conducted in rat studies that I mentioned now. We are looking into using decellarized tissue. So basically uh, using donors, um, donor rats to, um, and then remove the cells from this uterus tissue and then use that as a, as a scaffold that we recellularize with uh, various types of cells or uh, other other groups have also tried this um, without cells and, uh, and tried to repair uh, uterine injury. Uh, so with quite good results, uh, but in the rodents, we use smaller grafts. So, so I think this is a, a nice study where they show that it's possible to do this also in bigger grafts. I mean, uh, Atala has over the years uh, uh, published several papers uh, using uh, very similar scaffolding types uh, on different um, types of tissue. For example, the urethria and, uh, and uh, the bladder and uh, even uh, the vagina. Uh, and some, some of these studies have have reached the clinic or, or been tested in human patients. So, and I think if I understood this correct, that the biomaterial used in this study uh, is quite similar to those he has uh, evaluated before, uh, uh, but he has applied this on the uterus using uterine uh, specific cells for the seeding step. Mm -hmm. so, um, it certainly seems to be a very um, uh, promising type of biomaterial for sure. So you mentioned that only four out of 14 rabbits um, actually became pregnant, but it seemed like the, the tissue repair was maybe more um, extensive across the animals. How would you explain that only a few of the animals became pregnant? 
Um, yeah, that, that was my observation too, that uh, repair seemed to have been uh, uh, for most of the animals. So I think one uh, potential reason for the rather low uh, fertility number is that, of course, the placentation and the implantation uh, is a crucial step in the, the pregnancy uh, process. So, so uh, I think maybe it could be, I mean, this needs further investigation, of course, but uh, it might be so that uh, there were some implantation uh, failures uh, happening uh, after these constructs were used. And uh, the number of fetuses uh, in these four rabbits were much less as well compared to normal uterus tissue in rabbit. So I think it, it, it's probably quite likely that there was some kind of implantation failure happening. And it's not surprising. I mean, uh, it requires uh, a perfect uh, vascularization for the placenta, you know, to to obtain a... a good fetal development and and if that is not happening uh, i think the body will will um, you know stop the process so there are many animals in which you could do this kind of work as you were mentioning you could do this in rodents they're doing it in rabbits in this paper but you could go to larger animals right that resemble uh humans a little bit more yeah. what other animals would be sort of the next step uh, and uh, the experience from our lab is that uh, the sheep model is, is great. Uh, and that would be an, a very nice next step, I think, for, for a study uh, uh, like this, using this uh, scaffolding type. Uh, uh, it has been, uh, you know, our experience is that um, the sheep uterus is of a similar size to a human. And... Uh, and um, uh, its vasculature and anastomosis sites um, are quite similar. So the the uterus of a rabbit obviously is much smaller than a human one. But if you were scaling to a human uterus, do you think that the size of the scaffold that they're using here would be sufficient to repair the types of injuries that that are seen in in human individuals? Yeah, I think so. Um, I actually think uh, I'm very impressed with the size of the the grafts that they used in this rabbit study, um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, it's getting to a, a pretty good size to repair, a, you know, a partially injured uterus. I think yeah, definitely, uh, it would be very interesting to test this in a in a larger animal model. So, just going back briefly to to the low fertility rate that they see. Can you speculate on what could be improved in these scaffolds to to increase their rates? Uh, that's a very good question. I th I think it might has have to do something with the vascular uh, vascularization. Uh, it will be interesting to it will be difficult with a biomaterial like this, but I think it will be interesting to use a graft which can be anastomosed, uh, vascularly anastomosed. So. So perhaps that initial ischemia uh, might be prevented. You know, um, the fact that this scaffold is so big that uh, Atala and, and his co-workers used uh, without using 
uh, a vascular uh, anastomosis uh, to supply this scaffold with with blood, uh, I think could be a, a problem when it comes to fertility uh, observations. So it w- it would be interesting to to use a graft uh, with some kind of vasculature uh, that you could connect to the patient basically or or the animal and perhaps that could improve the fertility i'm just speculating here of course great thank you for uh, contacting me yeah appreciate it thank you (laughs) bye bye all right that is episode six thank you to both mats that was mats brenstrom speaking on the clinical side of things in the first part of the podcast, and Matt Hellstrom in the second. Thank you both. Thank you to the Midwest Quiet. We use their music in this podcast. We use their music for the podcast First Rounders. You can find those podcasts wherever you do that sort of thing. Just search Nature Biotechnology and Forum or Nature Biotechnology and First Rounders. You'll find it. If you'd like to discuss this podcast or First Rounders or anything that our journal Nature Biotechnology does, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Nature Biotech. This paper was published in Nature Biotech. We have taken that paper and moved it in front of the paywall for the next week. There's a link in the show notes to the paper if you'd like to read it. That is it. We have um, episode 7 coming pretty soon. Hopefully real soon. And I say hopefully because who knows these days. Who knows? That is all until then. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.